Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Grain. You can find all of my work at Legendary Upside. And some of that work includes rankings for underdog and best and DraftKings best ball drafts. Uh, sometimes I talk about how we changed a player in the rankings. Um, that's not the Royal We. I am getting help from Kyle Dvorak and Daniel Raz, who joined me on the pod today. We're going to talk through the legendary upside rankings. Guys, how's it going? It's going good. We got uh, like it's I felt like for so long we were in this like horrific dead zone of the summer where you'd come and be like, hey, did you guys notice this player's yards per route run? And be like, oh, yes, baby, let's update his ranks. And now <laughs> there's been like like I would, you know, I'd show up, you know, on a Wednesday morning and be like, I didn't change anything, Pat. I updated the ADP. It's July 7th. There's nothing to do. And now, like, every single day, we are frantically trying to, like, did we miss this nugget? Did we find this nugget? Uh, so it's hectic, but it's a lot better than, like, June 27th. Yeah, to add on, you know, we were for weeks thinking, oh, what do we do if Dalvin Cook signs with the Jets, the Dolphins? What do we do if there's a running back addition in New England? Then all of a sudden, they happen on the same day, and we have to actually put our heads together and get that answer to the people. We're like yeah, the Magnus you, Carlson of best ball where you can just see like, oh, my opponent's going to do this, but they could also do this. And you just have this game tree expansion. And now we're like, oh, they, they, you know, they moved Rook D5. That's okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, so we'll get to, we'll get to the Ramondre and the Brees. Um, but I would say uh, you guys were on the prudent side of, of both of those. Um, and the rankings, the rankings were pretty prudent on Ramondre. They weren't, as prudent on Brees, but uh, I, I'm 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 okay with that. I hope you're okay with that as as a subscriber to Legendary Upside. But um, talking to the listener, obviously. But I'll uh, we'll get there. We'll get there for sure. Um, before we do, I want to just do some housekeeping. Uh, first of all, I want to show off some of these sweet new promos that we now have for the site. We've got this sweet new background. Um, my buddy, uh, my guy in the Discord, uh, Zlanners. Just uh, just set this up. They're unbelievably cool. So just show off this one. We get if you sign up for a yearly subscription to Legendary Upside, uh, which costs ninety nine dollars, you can get a fifty dollar credit to Underdog. Um, it takes about a, a week to hit your account. If you sign up today, Thursday the seventeenth, you'll you'll see that by Monday. Um, so it'll hit your account fairly quickly. Um, I only have a limited amount of those, but uh, I do have some left. So a little time sensitive, but. Yeah, it takes the price down by by fifty bucks, down to down to forty nine dollars for your first year. So pretty sweet deal. If you're looking to sign up, get some good rankings, get some good content. Um, I've got a, a tight end series that just finished up on the site. I've got my legendary running backs article coming out next week. Uh, and then yeah, if you want to sign up for Spike Week, if you're already a legendary upside subscriber, you can get forty percent off Spike Week. So if you're considering signing up over there to check out your portfolio or any of the other tools that they have. Um, yeah, go ahead and sign up and get 40% off. That's for the monthly, the yearly, whatever you want over there. That's one of the perks of being a legendary upside subscriber. Uh, and if you're new to underdog, sign up with promo code leg up and you can get a hundred dollar deposit match, but that's all the, uh, that's all the ads that, that we have. Who'd do. you say made these, these little graphics? Uh, Zlanners in the, in the discord. If you need someone to make graphics, those are, those are snazzy. I like those. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty psyched. I'm pretty psyched. Pretty I, cool was, looking. I was like, it started moving and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I was using previously a background that I had like screenshot 
from 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 some uh, stuff that I had gotten because I had needed to darken it up. So like, it went from me making it to a professional, and I think I think the people can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, I'll pull up our rankings actually, and that'll kind of help us uh, go through this. So these are the rankings on Legendary Upside, uh, and yeah, we update them every day to account for various news or potential news as this guy was talking through. But one of the big things that we had come through yesterday was trail and Burks went down and Burks was someone that we were pretty high on uh, and was someone that I've been high on throughout the process. So I was high before they signed DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, we lowered him a bit after that, but I would say we were still bullish and now we are, starting to get nervous because at first, you know, it seemed like maybe he tore his ACL or something like that, um, had a major injury. It's a sprained PCL. The timeline for that seems a little murkier than the initial kind of two to four weeks from what I was reading on Twitter yesterday. Uh, and my guess is maybe he misses a couple weeks of the season, which I don't know is baked in. So we now have him lowered next to Kadarius Tony, which feels, which feels pretty natural, but, what are your what are you guys' thoughts on how people should approach Traylon Burks? Yeah, I don't feel great about it because it's not like he lit it up his rookie year. Like I, I forgot. He literally played special team snaps in his first game. It didn't ever happen again, but like he, you know, I assume he, you know, the reporting on this was very mixed, but he uh I assume failed his conditioning test when he showed up last year and then started playing special teams. And he was someone who like oh, we thought if he ever gets this expanded role, because he was really efficient in yards per outrun at times, and he would get the expanded role finally. And then I was like, oh, well, his efficiency dipped. It wasn't a great offense, to be fair. But then they bring in another receiver to essentially be the team's one. Like, it's clear DeAndre Hopkins is being paid to be the team's one. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying that DeAndre Hopkins is going to prevent his breakout, but the team has sort of positioned as if they don't see a breakout, and now he's missing the second half at least yeah probably about exactly half of training camp and then he's like you said he could miss a game or two uh, like i don't know it doesn't seem like the best i'd probably still be willing like there's obviously a price at which i'd be willing to buy we'll talk about jameson williams later which like i don't know if there's a price i'd be willing to buy i literally will just say whatever the market is it's probably not right that's not the case with burks because i still want to be buying into the profile he came out with he like came out of college with but I think the bet is continuing to grow slimmer. Yeah, and to add on, you know, Burks, we had this nice breakout profile, and I still think he's ranked properly within this realm of wide receivers. I'd take him over Kadarius, Tony, and Michael Thomas once every day and twice on Sunday. But I think structurally you hope to have enough receivers when you get to the late 8th, early ninth, that you can get a lot of the nice contingent running backs after. Well, I think I prefer as a tier to Burks, Tony, and Thomas, but that's more of a structural commentary. Yeah, like Zach Charbonnet or Traylon Burks, especially with the way I'm drafting, but even just yeah. straight up, frankly, even just straight up, like to me, Charbonnet, dude, like that, I, that's the guy I want. Even Khalil Herbert, who I've had to like, I, I got lucky and Crane, you got me to start drafting before this recent blow up. Uh, you you totally sold me. Him or Traylon Burks? Probably, probably Khalil Herbert, I think. Well, we have Khalil Herbert ranked behind Traylon Burks. Um and I think maybe that's my influence because um, yeah. although we certainly could end up moving him down a little bit further, one, if the market starts to get 
even more bearish because we are ahead of ADP on or sorry, we're we're behind ADP on Traylon Burke. So if the market starts to get more nervous about his injury timeline, I think it will, um, right? Which it probably will. I think they they will come to us for sure. They might end up kind of blowing past us because again, we were ahead of ADP when he was in the eighth. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we end up a little bit more bullish on him than than the market post injury. So um, it's possible he kind of comes down more into this running back range. Um, I will say that as far as the breakout stuff goes, you know, this is why we love wide receiver. We don't have to necessarily predict who the coaches will prefer over the course of a, of the whole season, right? They're not going to have their say in the same way that they would at running back there because Burks was going to be a starter. And, um, can you guys hear that leaf blower behind me? Is that a thing that you're hearing? I don't think so. Okay. All right. No. It's really distracting me. You muted yourself to muted. avoid the leaf blower. Um, <laughs> I told you it's distracting me. All right. <laughs> so uh, Burks is going to be out on the field as long as he's healthy. And that allows him to show what he has uh, in, in terms of his talent. And the reports were that he was having a very strong training camp. I thought he had an underrated rookie season in terms of what he flashed. Didn't he score a touchdown on the play that he messed up his knee? Like, it was literally a deep bomb yep. that I think he caught, right? And he scored. Right? It, was, yeah. it was a bomb. I played him in, played him in yeah. DFS that week. That one hurt. Oh, you're talking about – yeah, I think Kyle's talking about the training camp highlight. No, literally the one he busted his knee oh. on just now. Uh, oh, I was thinking – his... It was a bomb from Tannehill, right, that was in the end zone and caught touchdown, I believe. I, the film is so grainy. Right. There are six and whole pixels his... to it, but – yeah. yeah, and he got the concussion on his rookie year touchdown catch too. Or almost. Oh, you're right. Catch. Oh my God, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Anytime yeah. he makes a good play, I know it is frustrating. But I think he's he rated well in ESPN's Open Score, which I think runs count. He didn't rate amazing, but he rated pretty good. And I think that kind of under undermines the narrative that you know he's a gadget player or not like a traditional receiver. Um, Matt Harmon wasn't super fond of his route running, but he did know he was playing. Uh, traditional X receiver, not they weren't kind of scheming him up. Um, so he may he seems like he's made the transition to receiver. He's going to be out there. Um, obviously, he was a receiver at Arkansas, but a bit gadgety was was one of the big knocks. So I was I was pretty bullish in terms of what he would be able to show once out there on the field. Um, I thought there was some real upside to him in the eighth round. But yeah, if he ends up missing time, if the market ends up pushing him down then I don't think you need to force him where we have him ranked currently. I would say he he feels more like Rashad Bateman to me than like a Michael Thomas. And what I mean by that is I've actually gotten like a little looser in certain spots because I know Bateman is available later. Like I've, I've like right on DraftKings, sometimes I'll take that running back early when I'm tie-breaking because I know I have Bateman. And at the time, um, you know, I was doing this last week, like Burks, in the eighth Bateman in the ninth. And I can kind of get upside on my lineup at wide receiver uh, in a way that I don't really see for Michael Thomas. I mean, certainly you could make an argument that, that he has it, but it's been a long time, man. Um, yeah, with yeah, these let's younger be guys. Realistic. Let's be realistic <laughs> about this. I think the, the bull case for Michael Thomas is, is simply that he is, is probably, I think we're trying to be realistic about it. He plays a bunch. He's Adam Thielen, right? He plays a bunch of snaps. He can still run routes and earn targets, but you're not 
getting a ceiling out of that. You're getting a weekly floor. I mean, maybe someone can sell me on Michael Thomas returning to who he is, but like, I don't know. He, he's what? He's 28 or, or nine. It's been years. It's been I'm years. hoping he plays. Yeah. I, I'm hoping he plays a bunch, has a good target share. And that's it. That's all like all I'm betting with him. Whereas like you said, Burks, like you're hoping he's a breakout star. Like that's the bet with him. And like you said, that remains unchanged for the most part, I think. Exactly. And when you have those breakout bets that I think are legit upside bets, you know, that to me, that is what disappears at wide receiver when we talk about the wide receiver cliff, you know, and talking about needing to get, you know, like four wide receivers by round seven, like, or whatever. That the whole point of that to me is that you want to get guys before the upside dries up at wide receiver. And I think Burks and Bateman, if healthy, have that upside where you're where they could be true breakouts at the position. And I think that's what what's missing. It's a lot of like Alan Lazards after <laughs> the wide receiver position dries up. And those they do not fit that archetype at all. So you talk about Burks versus Khalil Herbert. Uh, ultimately, I could see us moving him behind Khalil Herbert. Um, like I said, especially if the market feels that way. But what about taking Burks over Khalil Herbert, but then getting, you know, a Damian Pierce on the team in the six, seven kind of area or whatever, and kind of doing that two v two where I think he's still exciting enough, even coming off the injury where I'll, I'll probably be drafting him, um, at a reduced price a little bit, uh, and it'll, and I think I'll feel a little more comfortable taking some of those like mid-range running backs, knowing I've got Bateman and Burks providing a little more upside in that range of wide receivers than I had earlier in the summer. Here's one thing: yeah. Do you think this affects his routes a ton? Because like I know last year he was like frustratingly not playing all of the snaps, not getting all of the routes. He didn't even earn like until week. What is this week? 16 he didn't get his first game with a 75 percent snap share and i know his routes were similar uh like and and that was partially because he had a you know quote bad off season but he was consistently hurt and still a bit raw and now and they needed an x like they needed they needed anyone do they needed bodies now they actually have a i don't want to say a reason to keep him off the field but a way to say we're gonna actually continue to slow play you in deandre hopkins right they were desperate for a human with a pulse on the field last year. They're not as desperate. And even if they were, even when they were desperate last year, they, I want to say understandably kind of slow played him throughout his career up or throughout his season up until the very, very end. I could see them like, unfortunate, like we're like, Oh my God, this guy's got 2.6 yards per route run. Why did he run 60% of the routes last week? And this is like, I, again, I, I could see it to start the year for sure. Talent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still want to be betting on talent, but you could see him missing a game or two then getting that treatment for weeks on end. It's, yeah, it would be. I could see that. I could definitely yeah, say I, would, I think if that happens all season, it's because he's not very good. But what, yeah, what are your thoughts I, on that, Daniel? Yeah, I would add that if Burks is good enough, they could slow play him. But eventually, if he's good enough and hits whatever threshold the team's looking for, he'll be on the field enough to where he'll be able to break out. I'm not sure how likely the break it is, but I'm not sure that the injury come midseason should materially affect his odds at a breakout. Obviously, there's a slight risk of a compensating injury or anything of that nature. But I think Burks, I think the market will be pretty bearish. I could see him falling to the mid late ninth round pretty reasonably. I mean, this is a decently meaningful injury and I'm, I'm adjusting my prior a little. I'm also managing my portfolio and my previous overweight stance on Burks because I don't want to just keep pounding the table on someone with a glaring risk factor. But if he drops around maybe 18 picks, then I'll gladly keep drafting him 
at an overweight position, but at the late eighth, early ninth, I'm going to be bearish. Yeah, and let's let's kind of zoom out a little bit to talk about some of the stuff. Like we, you know, these are the rankings that we have on the site, and they are designed so that you can draft right off of them. Um, these are sort of designed to be kind of the recommended order in which I would take these guys, provided I don't already have a portfolio, you know, and but we do have portfolios. So like I will probably draft Trail and Burks at a, at a lower rate than this would suggest because I have a bunch of Trail and Burks earlier and I don't think he's like an absolute smash now. Like we are behind AD, current ADP and, and that might continue to be the case um, unless he like really craters. So given that, that it's not like a, a huge target post-injury and I already have a bunch, I'll probably be trying to, you know, see if I can ease up a little bit on, on Trail and Burks. But so that's one factor to keep in mind, you know, that I personally might not draft exactly like this today, but it's sort of a recommended draft approach. But also, as soon as you take a player, you need to be thinking through the, what the rest of your draft looks like. So I would strongly recommend using both these ranks and ADP to help figure out how to build teams that are stacked, that are using week 17 correlation, that are structured properly. I probably should have said that first. <laughs> that's, that's the most important, I think. Um, uh, that aren't that where you're not like reaching a ton, although these rankings should help you with that because ADP is baked into these ranks uh, to an extent. We the way we have it done is that there there's only so much uh, kind of a pure ranking can factor into uh, these rankings that you're seeing. At a certain point, ADP will sort of uh, halt any further adjustment to the rankings. Uh, which some people have asked like to see, you know, can we see like the real rankings? Like these on the site are the real rankings. I wouldn't just because like, I don't like Najee Harris, who we'll get to later, uh, does not mean I wouldn't take him in like the fifth round. Um, you know, if I can get like a cheap Najee Harris share as part of a best ball portfolio, I want that. Um, I don't necessarily want to take him much before that. <laughs> but <laughs> this is this is the idea is right is like I could put Najee Harris at 95 in the ranks he's a he's above that but that doesn't do any that doesn't help anyone that just I'm just sort of proving a point at that point so yeah you would just of, throw them out of the ranks your ranks would only include players you like exactly. uh but like like you said we don't want that like there is a percentage chance Najee breaks out and we're willing to buy that those odds which we think are kind of slim and we're willing to buy them at the price we, you know, the price we have on our ranks. Right. He's an early fifth round value in our rankings, which is 9.5 picks behind ADP. If you're drafting off these rankings, you will rarely get Najee Harris. But even if you are less bearish on him than I am, and you see him, you know, somewhat near the top of the queue, go, you know, go, go for it. Uh, but the, the rankings are designed to push him down a little bit. Uh, past his ADP, but not out of your view entirely, because that's that's a bit silly. We do want to take ADP values when we can get them. Um, I think AD, not every every ADP value is created equal. Um, otherwise, we would just be drafting. <laughs> they otherwise wouldn't make these ranks. But um, but that is kind of the the idea here with how we're baking in the ADP. Um, let's get to a couple running backs that we're more fond of 
than Najee Harris. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson and Brees Hall. So Brees Hall um, is the guy that you guys were both in my year saying, look, man, they could sign Dalvin. The move here is to not take Brees Hall in the third, wait until they sign Dalvin and take Brees Hall in the fourth or even fifth. Um, and I was like, yeah, man, but he's got such a high ceiling that I'm going to keep taking him anyway. And he might, they might not sign Dalvin cook and also Dalvin cook is washed. So that's kind of been an, an internal debate. Thankfully you guys had me pull him down in the ranks, um, beyond where I would have probably done myself. That's why, uh, I really appreciate your guys help here. You're, you're making these ranks better. Um, but ultimately the ceiling of Brees hall is what kept me drafting him i think he honestly i think he's going to dust dalvin by you know mid-season kind of post they have a week seven bye i think he's going to come roaring back post that bye i think he might be their goal line back before that dalvin was absolutely atrocious uh with contact last year he's coming off shoulder surgery he's like not there right now at training camp so like this dalvin thing maybe you know i'm in the the lower it's one of these things where i like think i'm before dalvin signed this isn't a post Dalvin sign take. I would, you know, no matter where he landed, I was like, I think Dalvin's washed. And I think I'm probably in like the 95th percentile of guys who think Dalvin is washed. And I'm also in the 95th percentile. Yeah. At least of guys who think Brees Hall is uh, an exceptional talent. I think Sean Siegel might be higher in, on me than that, uh, in that scale. But so it's kind of these, these two things have come together to where I'm still quite bullish on Brees Hall. And I'm happy to take him in the fourth round. Um, I don't think I'll ever get any fifth round Brees Hall unless the the market completely tanks because I don't see how he would get past me in the fourth. But uh, but yeah, that's that's been a big kind of internal debate behind the scenes. Um, where, what are your guys' thoughts now on Brees Hall? Yeah, I like to see his ADP keep plummeting because again, I want to draft him. I had somewhere in the mid twenty percent. He was among my highest exposure players prior to Dalvin being released, but then the flag went off. If they sign Dalvin, I'll be able to get him at least around cheaper. His ADP has fallen to 41. I think it'll keep falling on underdog to the mid 40s and on drafting somewhere in the fifth round. So you're able to get cheap reshares, and I want to be overweight on such a dynamic profile. Are we concerned at all? I this is a mouthpiece for my Roto World colleagues, but like, I so I didn't think it like I, I kind of agreed with you guys that like. Dalvin's good. He's going to dust, or, uh, or uh, Breeze is good. He's going to dust Dalvin, who looks dusty in his own right. He's dusting himself, essentially. Uh, like, we're getting big LeBron GM in LA vibes from this uh, Aaron Rodgers Jets team. There are now rumors that they could possibly trade for David Bakhtiari. That was after they obviously brought in Lazard, brought in Cobb. Like, it's very clear his thumb is the scale, right? And Breeze is probably not ready for full speed week one. I even saw Silva posted or posted, he tweeted this uh, article from ESPN where like, oh, Dalvin still like feels like he's not sure he can make all of his cuts yet. We're still uh, two, three weeks Brees. away. Yeah, or sorry, Brees. Yeah, can't, can't make all these cuts yet. We're still three weeks away. It's all right. I'm not like thrilled with it, but it's fine. But then like uh, Rogers was just saying in a press conference yesterday, he was like, oh yeah, I was talking to Dalvin throughout the process. He wanted to be here. Like, it wouldn't shock me if this like young player with, you know, a few hundred snaps at the NFL level playing with Aaron Rodgers is fully committed, even if he's just better. Like he, he is just better. Like that's almost certainly true. Uh, this is me trying to talk myself off of like, 
I already have 15% Dalvin. And if it gets to 30 by the end of the summer, so be it. Uh, you have 15% Dalvin? Sorry, Breeze. I keep switching their names. I have 15. I have, <laughs> this is not, I have, honestly, this is the biggest red flag you've raised so far is that you can't keep them straight. Actually, that's true. It's like very Freudian that like maybe I keep messing them up. Uh, yeah, I have, I have almost no Dalvin. I have like, I just checked, 14% Breeze. Uh, and this is me trying to see if there's a, a reason, trying to field reasons that I wouldn't just go all in. Because I agree. Like he was a really strong prospect. He, in a limited sample, looked like an absolute unit last year. Uh, like, is there, how many, what are the odds that we get to week 15 and Dalvin isn't dusted? He's still getting 40% snaps, 15 touches, and he's mixing in on the goal line, or at least they haven't completely given Brees the goal line work the way that some teams just give the, the second string running back every third drive, even if it gets to the goal line, even if it's third downs. I think it's uncomfortably possible because like, you know, we we've talked about, like we were just talking about it with receiver. Like there are three receiver spots. Traylon's getting on the field. He's really good. Like they just have a choice to make where they can choose not to put Brees on the field. He his talent at least doesn't have as much of a say in his playing time and his fantasy points. Right. Yeah. I mentioned the reason we love wide receivers because you're talking about how Hopkins, you know, could end up hurting Burke's playing time. I just don't see it that way because they need to have two to three wide receivers out there on every play. So it's really, you're saying Kyle Phillips or someone like that, uh, or Chris Moore would hurt his playing time, which he could, which could, but that that's because either Burks is terrible or he's not healthy. But with Brees, Dalvin can hurt his playing time directly. If they just put Dalvin out there, they're not going to play, you know, anytime we hear like, oh, this back will play in the slot and this back will play. No. There's one spot on a modern NFL running back uh, for a modern NFL roster for a running back who's going to be involved. I mean, you could certainly have a fullback out there, but that that doesn't help us. Um, so I agree with that. You know, Dalvin could be a real thorn in his side for much of the season. That's a floor outcome that we need to keep in mind when you take Brees Hall. But these are underdog ranks that we're looking at currently. And um, we also have DraftKings ranks on here. Those are best ball ranks. When we're talking about underdog, we're talking about, you know, there's a bunch of tournaments on there, but we're mostly talking about kind of best ball mania, um, which has a one out of 16 advanced structure in week 15, one out of 16 teams advance in week 16. And then you have to beat 441 teams in a single week tournament. Not every, uh, underdog tournament is that difficult to advance and then win but they're all they're, late season focused though they're, they're all close you know, other than weekly winners right they're all very all the money is late even if they're not as large late all the money is late all the money is late so what are we focused on especially at running back on a site called legendary upside which is literally based advanced on rates everyone were focused <laughs> right. oh no that's no it's not what you're gonna say no no it's not one touches Week one touches is not what I was going to say. Wrong, wrong. I, it's a good thing we have this chalkboard up here because, yeah, you got <laughs> it's, right, a, it's a little lesson. Uh, Brees Hall is giving us week 17, week 16, week 15 upside at the running back position, and you want to be drafting the running back position for upside. It's not a position, even in best ball, right? In best ball, we can go, especially with underdog prices this year, you can go find Khalil Herbert. You know, who's like literally the starting running back for the Bears right now. You can go find uh, Brian Robinson, who's probably the 
what we would normally consider the starter, you know, maybe as 50% of the snaps. We've got Rashad White, who's like a workhorse starter for the Buccaneers in the seventh, eighth round. Like, you can go find some usable, you know, somewhat reliable production at the running back position. It's not going to be as exciting as what you get early on, but that is what you're that is what you're losing, right? Early on, you're lose from from the early rounds. You're losing that access to the massive ceiling, and if you're drafting early on, therefore. I think you should be drafting guys who you think have that massive ceiling that can actually shift the tournament in your favor themselves. And to me, that nothing has changed in that regard. Brees Hall still has a far, 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 far better talent profile than Dalvin Cook at this point. And we're hearing things that I think keep the ceiling ceiling outcome very much intact. Um, we got Connor Hughes talking about how the team is – this is not about Brees Hall. They expect Brees Hall to be the guy once he's back. Um, we also got a report from, I was reading from The Athletic uh, yesterday in the post. He was talking up how Dalvin Cook's been absolutely terrible in a number of true media advanced stats, which was kind of fun since I don't, I don't have access to those myself. Uh, I've been referencing the NFL Next Gen stats, which he's been terrible in particularly in success rate, um, which, which is a real concern in short yardage situations and at the goal line, if, you, if you're not reliable that way. And he was referencing Cook ranking 46th to 57 in successful plays on rushes and 51st on third down conversion rate on rushes. Um, he had the highest percentage of rushes for zero or negative yards among running backs with at least 100 carries. So the, the stuff of like, oh, what if, Aaron Rodgers just keeps Dalvin Cook on the field. I mean, in a way, I think we are fortunate as people that are drafting Brees Hall that Dalvin Cook is going to get such an extended look while he's recovering. Because I genuinely think that we it would be like worse off if it was a Zeke situation with Ramondre and he's going to get kind of mixed in. I think it's going to be pretty evident that once Brees is back to full health, which from what I, from everything I've read from the Twitter doctors, you would expect around week five, him to be nearing a hundred percent. And he's supposed to be like ready by week one, week two. Dalvin is going to have a big role early in the season. He could push back Brees' timeline. You know, maybe it would have been week four, week five previously to where he has a big role. Now it could be week eight, week nine. That's a problem. That's an advance rate problem for sure. Um, And, he could even have a big impact on Brees all season. But I don't think Brees is the guy we're betting on. We've sort of already lost the bet if Dalvin is impacting him in that way because Brees' ceiling was a mirage, I think, if, if Dalvin can have that kind of impact season long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to add on, the median outcome with Brees Hall is you probably lose money betting on him because there are a lot of risk factors. But guess what? The median outcome playing best ball mania and maxing enter it is you will lose money even if you are a good player. These for prizes most of us, are yeah, so... For most of us, that's what turned out to be true. Yeah. yeah. That's a median I mean, outcome. Yeah, the median outcome. You think this is a median outcome? <laughs> no, I, I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying for for those of us who played best ball mania in previous years, most of us found out that median, median outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. These prizes are so top heavy. You really need to aim. And it's tough to actually conceptualize how top heavy they are. But if you get maybe 
35th in best ball mania, you might not make all your money back. It is a scary proposition. And you have to be willing to enter this knowing the median outcome is you lose money, but you want to be playing this to maximize your ceiling outcome. And it is really tough to justify taking players with such lower odds of hitting their ceiling outcomes than Brees Hall when you get an affordable price. Obviously, with Best Ball Mania, you do have to be mindful of the $5 million going to the regular season. Signing Dalvin definitely hurts Brees Hall's odds of helping you win that. There's no doubt. But in ceiling outcomes, Brees Hall could still contend for that. And importantly, in prize structures where all the money is in Weeks 15, 13, or even two-thirds of the money, Brees Hall is probably the favorite among any fourth-round pick to be the difference maker within that range. And you really have to be willing to embrace the uncertainty there. That's interesting because some of the... Now, some of you mentioned that you know best ball mania pays out to the regular season. A lot of these other tournaments do not. The puppy, for example, I don't think pays out to the regular season. But some of the higher stakes stuff also does not pay out to the regular season. And I feel like in some of those drafts, you know, people are a little bit, you know, more nervous about certain. Brees has not been going later. I've noticed in the big dog. Can you guys? Can you guys get a little more panicked about him, please, so that, so yeah. that I can get cheaper Brees in the big dog? But. uh I think in general, like maybe some of those risky players actually make more sense in that that type of tournament because of the payout structure. Is that what you're thinking, Daniel? Yeah, that's part of it. But in Best Ball Mania, you also have the positive advantage. It applies to Ramondre Stevenson, too. This tournament was 67% full when Zeke and Dalvin signed in their backfields. So 67% of teams have third-round Ramondre and third-round Brees Hall. So if you can get one of them falling to the fourth, if you can get Brees in the fifth in Best Ball Mania, just from a leverage perspective on the field, I think you have to take him just off that. And when you factor in the league winning upside, which is clearly there, the legendary running back season that he is live to have, at least at the end of the year, maybe not the whole season, you have to be really willing. So essentially, you can take Brees Hall in the tournaments that only pay out at the end in week 17 because he's a great bet to do so. Or you can take him in Best Ball Mania and there's a little leverage. So take Brees Hall everywhere. All right, Pat, Pat. How much? How much more confident are you that week fifteen, seventeen? I pick one of the late weeks. I don't care. Rolls around, and Brees is of let's say of Stevenson, Etn, Hulk. We have them back to back to back in our rankings. That Brees is the one who is like eighty six hundred on DraftKings, and he's just a windmill. He's a free square at eighty six hundred. You know, he projects for twenty one DK points, twenty two DK points, or whatever. And you're like. How do I get off this guy? They need to price him up to 10K versus ETN and Stevenson. Because I, I would make that bet too. I would be taking him as, if you just say, who projects for more fantasy points in week 17, 16, 15. It's all for me. How much more confident are you in him versus ETN or Stevenson to be that guy? I'm glad you framed it that way because that is what I'm very confident of. Yeah. that he Not that he will do that, but that I do think he's much more likely to be the guy who's priced at 8,600 on DraftKings, and we're like, I don't even know how I build a lineup without this guy. You're like, can I eat 40% 8,600 breeze? You're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can't. <laughs> okay, I don't think I can. So the that is right, because after that, as soon as kickoff hits on week 17, then like, it's a one-week game. You know, like, you're going to, right, we're all going to flip over our, our advancing lineups, see what's on them. And we're going to root for those guys. And what happens that week is going to be highly chaotic. It's a single week of an NFL season. A lot of weird stuff's going to happen. So am I that much more confident that in week 17, he has a great game than ETN or, or Stevenson? No, I'm not, you know, it's a one week, but 
that he sort of established himself as that guy that you're super excited to have and feel confident betting on going into the week, I do think he has a, a meaningfully better chance of, of doing that um, just because of how good he was last year. He was hyper-efficient as a rusher. He was hyper-efficient as a receiver. He offered you that Kenneth Walker kind of explosion as a rusher, but he also was consistent. Uh, I do think his short yardage ability is probably going to be much, much stronger than Dalvin Cook's, given the concern there. Uh, so I like, it, you know, whereas Zeke could be coming in specifically for like goal line work with Ramondre, I do not really see that as a plausible outcome with Cook, given, I mean, not only was he terrible at it last year, but he's coming off shoulder surgery this year and he's got a recurring shoulder issue and he's 28 years old. Like there's, just, it's just not, I mean, maybe bam night or something. If, if, uh, Brees Hall falls on his face, but again, we're talking about looking for ceiling outcomes here. So just given the efficiency, given the pedigree, this guy was a second round pick. He actually rated really strongly for me in, uh, my running back model coming out. And then he has this incredible rookie season. And then I would also note I, I mentioned what Connor Hughes, that he had said some positive stuff, found the tweet um uh it said he said still Brees Hall's team and that he's the Jets bell cow the moment he's back Cook isn't stealing touches from him he's spelling and helping him this also isn't an indictment on Hall's health I'm told he's still on schedule so that's again where you go that Aaron Rodgers stuff could Aaron Rodgers be a total dick about this and keep mm -hmm. Dalvin Cook on the field for longer than we would like yeah I mean I would expect that but I think there are a limit to how much of a dick Aaron, even Aaron Rodgers can be. And I think that limit hits probably after the Jets week seven by would be would be my guess. Maybe it extends a little past that. But again, we're looking for ceiling outcomes. There's a chance that Hall never recovers from his ACL, that he doesn't look like he looked last year, that he's not materially better than Dalvin Cook after all. And, you know, then he's not going to be a great four time pick. But if we're looking for guys who can like change the season for us, I still think he has that type of ceiling, but balancing it against these other guys is difficult for sure. Because I think ETN um, maybe even more than Stevenson at this point, his ceiling is starting to become underrated. So let, let's talk him for a minute because he's someone that uh, I think we were like kind of even with ADP on file and have actually moved up and is someone that this is also very much reflects how I'm drafting currently. I'm trying to get more ETN in a weird way. ETN seems to be the one that's fallen post this Dalvin cook signing. I thought that Brees would come down. ETN would kind of come up to help replace him and Brees has come down. And then ETN seems to be even cheaper. And he was, he pops a lot in the, my stuff last year too, not so much as a receiver, but his rushing stuff is really good last year. They're still positive on him, even though they like Tank Bigsby as well. If he hits the Jaguars, right, the Jaguars break out as a as an offense we want to be invested in, and their lead running back crushes, it's going to look pretty obvious in retrospect that we should have been taking him in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah he's, I remember he's one that I I know I don't think Daniel you had this uh, sort of leak, but I think both Pat you and I had this leak of like, yeah, there's a lot of good picks in this range. I'm at seven yep. percent or whatever, right? Yep. And and, you know, the more we've talked about it, the more it, it seems it, like it'll be so obvious in hindsight that one, he was he was a really strong rusher last year, like rated well in rush yards are expected, but also was good in success rate. He wasn't just boom bust. Right. He was also like he, he d doesn't at least have that fatal flaw where I think 
it's maybe what got Charbonnet drafted to Seattle is that like Walker would go stretches where like you wouldn't get the boom. Like it's what like is sort of the fatal flaw of Saquon Barkley's. They go stretches without the boom and you're like, oh, I see why they drafted Charbonnet. Oh, I see why they're using him the way they're using him. Etienne doesn't even have that fatal flaw. He just looks like a really well-rounded, incredible rusher. And he was a good pass catcher in college. I don't know if that's ever going to manifest in the NFL, but I certainly think it's still on the table. And to get someone of his like draft pedigree, they're extremely invested in him. They used him well last year between the tackles. And now the offense, like we, we've talked about, this is offense. We could look back and be like, yeah, like Trevor Lawrence looked really good in what I'm going to call his first real year. I think Urban Meyer is the worst coach of my lifetime. In his first year sans Urban Meyer, he looked like everything we expected. And his prospect profile was that of like the next Andrew Luck. This could be like the next Bengals team, right? Like, I don't think they're ever toppling the Chiefs in points per game, but I think they could be right up there with the Chargers, with, you know, even the Bills, like Cowboys are always up there. You're getting an extremely talented rusher, maybe pass catching upside, tons of touchdown upside. Like, uh, yeah, I am I just checked. I'm like, even with the field, I think it's just bad. Like, I think you, he's kind of an easy click here. Yeah, I've been double the field on ETN the entire season. I remember talking with Pat in February or March saying, how's this different than the Antonio Gibson bet? This was pre-draft. How's this different than year two Antonio Gibson? Obviously, ETN, an Urban Meyer first-round pick. So if we like adjust that, that's probably a mid-early second-round pick. But that's still pretty good. Six-round pick, yep, six-round pick. Yeah, and misses year one. So his true rookie year is basically last year. He was awesome. The Jaguars, I've comped two last year's Bengals, you know, they have the prince who was promised at quarterback. They have everything you look for in an ascending team. And Etienne was such a dynamic rusher. The receiving is a question mark. We have Jermichael Hasty there. Tank Bigsby could eat into work. But the upside on Etienne is, dare I say, the league winning running back. I've thought that for a while. I'm happy to be twice the field and will continue to push that stance if he stays in the early fourth. Dan, you've been out front on a number of these things, um, these key decision points uh, this, this offseason. Um, but I, I do have to say, you know, if you're, if you're gonna, you got to work on your messaging a little bit, because if you're trying to convince me to, to raise a guy in the rankings, yeah. uh, comparing him to Antonio Gibson, who I was notoriously bullish on in his second was year, and then he, and then he completely failed is <laughs> not the easiest way to get me yeah. to, to be in on Travis ETN. Yeah. But and that's a bit yeah. of a bias on my part because I, I've continually loved this profile, but instead of having to make the bet in the late second round or with Gibson even into the early second round, which I still admittedly did make, ETN's now in the, no, I did too. anywhere from the late to early fourth round. So you're, the opportunity cost is so low. I will I will also say with Antonio Gibson, it was like, in theory, this player could be good. Whereas in ETN's case, in practice, it has been good. We have, we have I've seen it with my eyes. I've seen the CSVs. He is very good, whereas Gibson like has hadn't made the transition to like true NFL between the tackles runner yet. Still hasn't done that, but I, I do think it's like a, other than that, it's a, I get the comp. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Also that. Also well, that, yeah, that we never got Fitzpatrick. Okay, the Gibson thing might have worked out if we just had Fitzpatrick. We'll never know. Uh, but I'm I'm with you, Kyle. I'm I'm overweight on DraftKings, but underweight on Underdog and combined i'm like directly i'm exactly even with the field um so i don't like that i want to be where daniel is uh daniel's twice the field that seems way more fun on a player who we don't have to like argue about like you know tank big is gonna eat in a little bit but he's not 
you know, it's not like he's starting the season and then we're betting on the talent to take over and all that stuff with Brees. Like you get a much cleaner on an offense that could be better than the Jets. Just like he's a starting running back and we think he's good. So it's a very clean bet with ETN. I guess people are starting to get nervous that, you know, maybe he's in like a real kind of gross committee. But as we're talking, like, why do we not have ETN over Stevenson? Because Stevenson is also dealing now with another back. People aren't that nervous because it is Zeke, you know, and he is washed. But Zeke doesn't look that much more washed to me than Dalvin in these advanced stats. Um, his yards per route run was atrocious. He won't be involved as a receiver. That's nice because that's a key part of Ramondre's value. But he was much better in stuff like success rate. And I and if you're signing Zeke, who's essentially like a like a fullback now, you know, he's a good pass blocker and he is good in short yardage. So he's someone that you can kind of trust. Um, it kind of makes sense as a signing for them. But that could end up sniping some touchdowns from Stevenson. I'm obviously not panicking on Stevenson, but we are actually now a little bit behind ADP. Um, and I could see us being a little behind ADP the rest of the way because I think this does like in a way that I don't feel as worried about with Brees. Like if you look at those ceiling outcomes for Stevenson, certainly he could completely dust um, Elliot, but I, I just am nervous. They kind of want to spell him a little bit more than they did at times last year. Mm, and I don't know. I should Me also either. say with Stevenson, I don't, I don't think the talent is quite as strong as what Hall could be. So like, and on limited touches, I'm just not as excited. It's another. Key. Yeah, I, I think that that would be the argument. Cause I, I like I, to me, I, I think he could easily dust Zeke. Like, wouldn't be surprising if Zeke is just like truly in all situations and short. Yeah, yardage he's just he just isn't good. And like you said, he's you said he's good yeah. in short yardage. Didn't you, I think you said he's like he's a, he's almost fine. deadly average. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah, he's usable he's in short yardage. That's how yeah. he will be used. Because if you sign him, you plan to use him. But if you sign him, you also probably are trying to use the things he's quote you know air quotes good at the things he's not terrible at i like he was better I than Ramondre a, last year for example yeah in, yeah in i think nfl next gen success rate which isn't just short yardage but i think it's uh it's instructive i think in short yardage too i saw like hayden or someone tweet about this they're they're extremely similar uh that, so yeah. that's probably where he gets used but yeah. i do think he is closer to wash not by a ton but closer to wash than dalvin because at least dalvin has i think a skill you can maximize where, like he's always good top end speed he's right he, he's yeah. fast he's fast I, I think he's probably closer to straight line speed you want to get him like good blocking and hope a linebacker isn't there to make a tackle because he may not break that anymore like he used to i don't even know if zeke has that sort of like how does this guy win type of scenario he's got a how does this guy not lose in that he's about league average in success rate. So I think that's probably an easier path for him being dusted. Whereas like you could tell me that the jets are consistently finding a way to get Dalvin cook, some carries that maximize his, his skill set. I don't know what there is even to maximize with Zeke. So I think he's probably easier to dust, but I agree that it's also easier to dust someone when you're extremely talented. And I, I would bet Reese, uh, as a bet on talent over Stevenson. So maybe I'm nitpicking, but I do think Stevenson is not a extremely different bet to dust his backup because his backup is worse. Yeah. He's also not quite as good as Brees. I, I think that's uh, that's a bet I'd make too, but I think his backup's worse. Yeah, to add on to this, I think that it's pretty clear that there's not much that Zeke definitely does better 
or that Ramondre knows that Zeke definitely does better than Ramondre. But if they want to spell Ramondre, which I think every intention this offseason has pointed to, they don't want him having 80% of the snaps or anything in that range. Zeke would have the comparative advantage in those short yard situations because he's not meaningfully worse in those and you can maximize Ramondre elsewhere. There's a chance we don't want to think about, it, but Dalvin may just have a pure advantage in some of the straight line plays with the Jets. I don't think there's anything that Zeke just does flat out meaningfully better than Ramondre, but I think their intention is to make sure that Ramondre isn't a workhorse. And in those scenarios, Zeke should be the primary or at least rotating in the goal line, which is a scary proposition on an offense that has a six and a half win total and may not get to the end zone. Yeah, for market based reasons alone, I don't think we can have Brees ahead of Ramondre. So I'm not I'm not even gonna argue that. But I do think ETN like and maybe market based reasons would also keep us from doing that. But like I think so. Yeah. Why yeah. isn't ETN like I was just looking at this, like, why wouldn't we be more excited about ETN than Ramondre? Is it just, is it the tank Bigsby? Is that why? We just pass think tank Bigsby stuff. could I be think something? There's, okay. there's a decent chance ETN comes out uh, at the end of his career, and you're like, oh, he, he just never developed into a pass catcher. He was just scheme touches because, like, he was, you know, you if he was never a good pass catcher, let's just say he was, you know, we look back and he was never good. Uh, it literally doesn't matter. You throw him screens at Clemson and he is the best player with the ball in his hands. If he has bricks for hands, you are still throwing him screens because you get that guy the ball and he kills any cornerback he faces. That's not true in the NFL. So maybe that is the ultimate outcome that he has a, you know, Kenneth Walker, probably pre-Charbonnet, or maybe not, you know, a Kenneth Walker in ceiling where I don't know how he ever gets to, uh, you know, one of the legendary upside screeners is what, four catches per game, right? Or is it four targets? Yeah. Catches. yeah, catches. I, 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 I think he could do it, but I know Stevenson could do it. I'm 100% confident Stevenson can get four catches per game. I'm far less confident than ETN can. I don't know if he does. Like, and we've talked about this in, uh, like, in our messages too. Trevor Lawrence had really low checkdown rates last year. Is that yep. because ETN was poor? Like, ETN didn't do well in yards per out run at PFF pass catching grade, but is that scheme? Is that Lawrence? Is that ETN? Those are it's, hard to. It's not ETN. I don't think i mean it's etn in the sense that like they're not calling screens you know or that he's not they're not plays that are sort of designed to get him the ball in space that sounds like etn that no that's that could be etn to some degree but it's like pre play call you know what i mean it's like play design versus yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. on the play itself like it's not like etn's like standing next to the linebacker or something yeah yeah he, you know, <laughs> chatting it up he's like oh wait was i supposed to do something oh oh i was supposed to run around i think yeah the only guy i've ever seen look completely lost in that way is unfortunately ronald jones yeah um but i think etn knows where to go to get a target it's just yeah lawrence is probably trying the type of quarterback who's going to push it downfield in the same way we're like we want joe burrow's pass catching running back we want tom brady's pass catching running back um trevor lawrence might not be one of those guys uh Okay, let's let's go to some of these other running backs, Jonathan Taylor and Josh Jacobs, which we were trying to not deal with how much are their backups going to get or how the, how the backup Brees Hall is going to not be a backup anymore. Um, but we're, we're looking at contract situations. we got Josh Jacobs here. Uh, we're dead even with ADP. Um, and we've got Jonathan Taylor ahead of ADP. We actually moved him back up ahead of Derrick Henry, although – now he's like away from the team again, so we might need to adjust that back 
behind Derrick Henry today. (laughs) Uh, We've kind of yo-yoed a little bit with Taylor from, I would say, this spot, you know, post-trade request, right? Somewhere from where we have him right now to kind of like around Mark Andrews behind the, the elite quarterbacks. Um, and we it's probably been had a him even tough. higher because we we probably had him ahead of Barkley at some point when oh, there was nothing, right? When there was nothing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, we could I'm get back foolish. there. He could get back there if he signs or um, yep. reports, I guess. He doesn't need to sign anything. But, you know, he's someone I think is a, a pretty interesting bet outside of all this contract stuff. Um, last year's 101 going in the late second seems pretty, pretty good. Um, I'm also pretty bullish on Anthony Richardson and Shane Steichen. And, and I think the offense can be pretty effective. Maybe they don't throw to Taylor much, but he could be really, really efficient as a runner. And that's his best trait. He's a breakaway runner. That's what he does best. So someone I would like to be betting on because I would like to see Jonathan Taylor play a full season of football this year, but figuring out if that's going to happen and if it's for the Colts has been challenging. Yeah, with the Colts, everything they've done this offseason, they've been doing everything right. You know, it's a, oh, they're probably a Will Levis team. No, they took Anthony Richardson, the clearly better prospect. Then it's Shane Steichen and all the press press conferences. We need to get our quarterback live reps. He's going to learn in-game. Then what? They announce him far before they needed to as the week one starter. This is a team that we think sees the game the right way, how to develop their players and how to maximize their players. And Shane Steichen with Jalen Hurts and then prior to that with Justin Herbert and the Chargers has led offenses that have maximized the skill sets of their best players. I think that if Taylor stays with the Colts, I want to be in on him. I think he's probably going to report soon. I'm not sure how much leverage he has in the CBA. CBA. So he's someone I want to continue to be overweight on. Though you do have to exercise caution with the downside. Yeah, he has no leverage, right? I think I think what would ultimately happen is, uh, what is is this his fourth year, right? Yes. Uh, he would become a restricted free agent if he holds out, which is not a free agent. You know, it, it, that's essentially how it works. You're just not a free agent for like meaningful practical purposes. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the path of I get to not sign my franchise tag. I burn a year, and that's not good. This is Jacobs. You know, I get to I am forced to burn a year, but if I don't sign, I walk into free agency next year barring another franchise tag or whatever. He doesn't have that path. There is so little leverage outside of the fact that he's really good and the Colts probably really want him to play football for them, which is leverage. It's not zero, but it is not a, a very easy path to him not playing uh, like not playing football this year. So for that reason, I've been pricing it close to like he is playing for the Colts this year. Not, I'm not 100%. Like he could like, just on principle, hold out. Like, say, like, yeah, I don't care. Uh, you know, put me in an unrestricted free agency. I won't play for you next year either. Could totally happen. These seem like very slim odds of such a thing happening. Yeah, and I think a trade is also not out of the realm of possibilities, but that's probably pretty good. So It's fine, yeah. I, I think the Colts yeah. are, like, maybe a marginally above average situation because they should have a good line. Anthony Richardson should help his rushing efficiency, which should be like really strong because he's a really good running back. And I think they're going to be a really well-coached team. So I like, also you have a rookie quarterback and they're probably not going to score a ton of points. They're like, yeah, it's, the, it hurts his ceiling outcomes to be on the Colts. Actually. Yeah. I think, it's, yeah, I think yeah. it's like the 19th best situation in the NFL for yeah, a yeah. highly efficient running back break. Even I think if he gets traded, it, it's just rolling dice. I don't think it makes a big difference if we cannot project who it is yet. But you'd hope that Taylor's trying to trade for him are the ones who will maximize him. So I think it would be the median outcome in a trade is a 
dare I say, significant upgrade from the Colts. Okay, yeah, I, I I get that. I mean, I think the other thing with Taylor is that even last year, like in some of the NFL Next Gen stuff, he was fine. He wasn't amazing, but he was amazing in 2021. Um, we had offensive line issues. We had them hiring an ESPN analyst as their head coach. We had them, uh, you know, dealing with like the worst quarterback situation in like outside of like Ian Book in recent memory. Um, so it was it was a horrendous situation, and yet you know in the advanced stuff he was looking okay. Um, so I think if he were to get traded, that's not a situation where I would be betting on the the incumbent running back. Uh, if if Jonathan Taylor showed up, <laughs> that would be a real problem for whoever uh, was previously on that team. I think. Um, so yeah, I think he is. It's difficult to say. I mean, I think that some of those really small chance outcomes uh are really bad you know where he the situation breaks down and he doesn't play at all this year like i don't know how to price those exactly but those those could cost him like the whole season so we're trying to bake in a little bit of that risk but i generally uh agree that he's probably playing for the colts this year and he's probably playing this year and he's very well priced if that's the case and you will see him in the third round so sometimes i will push him around the corner here, we should probably actually lower him behind Henry because I, I think yep. you can kind of push Taylor yep. around the corner more easily than Henry. And then um, if you can get him in the third, it's it's pretty sweet. I, I, I recommend it, even if you're fading Taylor. I recommend clicking Jonathan Taylor in the third round. It's fun. Uh, let's go to Jacobs, who um, I don't know, man. I'm like getting a little nervous about Jacobs, and it's not because of the holdout stuff. It's because... Mm-hmm. It's never a good idea to let a giant running back who runs a 4-4 flat get a bunch of run with the starters behind you. Like, he, Jacobs was a touch-snap consolidator last year. He got a huge percentage of the Raiders running back carries, running back touches, and he was efficient on that workload. And this is not to say Jacobs is bad. Jacobs was very good last year. To be able to be, like, strongly efficient on a huge workload is a big time skill. There's not many running backs who could do that. Um, And that was a super impressive season from Jacobs, but for fantasy purposes, like, because he wasn't super efficient, he was just good. You know, he was, he was impressive, but if the workload gets scaled back, even to, you know, what a standard, a standard starting running back, we're going to feel that with Josh Jacobs, I think, especially because we're talking about a Raiders offense that we don't think is going to be good or score many points. So it's got to be him generating that fantasy value probably through volume more than than some other running backs that we're betting on in this range. Yeah, and I think there's also the downside risk of late in the season if he's playing on the tag, which he will, by the way. He has made $8 million in career earnings through four years. He can sign the franchise tag and make 11 more. I find it really hard to believe he will hold out when you get an opportunity at life-changing money. But there's a chance late in the year if he has an injury. And again, it's tough to price these. There's a chance that he's far more likely to sit on a moderate to minor injury in the weeks that matter compared to running backs going in the range. And there's also the downside risk of whereas the Colts have sort of done things the right way. I'm not sure how many things the Raiders have done that we'd consider to be optimal besides possibly having their part owner Tom Brady coming in at quarterback late season. So 
Oh, are you in on that? Are you with, with Denny that Tom Brady's playing this year? Not they're going to be too bad. The thing is, if they're like, <laughs> true. Be if their quarterback bad. gets hurt and they're 10 and four or whatever, sure. Okay, they ain't making it 10 and four. Brady's <laughs> going to see a one and nine team. Jimmy Garoppolo rolls his ankle. It's like, no, I'm not playing for that team. Yeah, I, I agree. It, that would be that would be quite the storyline, though. Where where are you at, Kyle? I'm not awfully concerned with Zamir White cutting into his role. I think Jacobs is a fine pick, but like you said, like he was a meh running back throughout his career until last year, in which case he was extremely efficient. He wasn't he didn't get there in the way that like Taylor or Henry get there with or Chubb, where they're literally the best running back in the league. He got there by getting maybe the up there for the best volume in the league and then doing a little more with it. He's like, exactly. he got like, you know, Najee Harris volume, but then actually realized on his talent because he's more efficient than Najee. So I think if you are concerned with Zamir White, then you would be like, oh, I don't know if Jacobs is a good pick here. I- I'm not particularly concerned with Zamir White, like career committee back in college who then gets like eight snaps as a rookie Eh. Yeah, and I would just put some numbers to this. Josh Jacobs had 80% of the Raiders team attempts last year. That led the NFL. Derrick Henry was second. Uh, Damian Pierce actually tied for second uh, with 75%. um, Those two there. And then he was second in the NFL last year in percent of team opportunities. Derrick Henry had 45%. Josh Jacobs had 42%. Saquon Barkley, 39%. Christian McCaffrey, 38%. Damian Pierce again, 37. Maybe we should be drafting more Damian Pierce. Um, we should. But be. these guys, yeah, I've actually started a little bit. Um, Josh Jacobs, you know, it's so look, that's great. It's great that he got that much work. Um, but it does make me, it's like, hey, I would love things to be exactly the same, like exactly the same. <laughs> like, don't change anything. This works, you know? And the more I see the potential for change in a situation like this, it just makes me a little nervous. So I think we're like, um, you know, we're, we're at ADP, but that that's why I would say we're like not, we don't have like a bullish stance on, on Jacobs. It's like the risk, I think, it, you know, he's going to sign with the Ra- with the Raiders. I feel confident about that, but this has created some maybe additional small, small, but real risk in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we thought there was zero risk, we would have him priced as like a one, two turn guy. Like, he yeah. was one of the most yeah. used running backs in the NFL last year, and he was good on that usage. Uh, and even me saying, like, I'm eh, Zamir White, don't care that much. I don't care zero. It's definitely a situation where Zamir White ups his snap share to 20% or whatever. You're sweating bullets. So, there, I mean, that's the reason we have him where we have him, which I, I, I take him at ADP. He's fine. Yeah. All right, let's talk through some of the biggest stands that we have, um, starting with, Jamison Williams, who we've referenced a few times, right? Um, Jamison Williams is uh, one of these guys where ADP is actually not reflected in this rank because in some cases we don't want to let ADP tell us what to do, okay? We do know better. We're, we're, we're selective in the, the I know better stances, but we do make them usually – it's in cases where the market is stale, that we expect that there to be a lot of um, upcoming movement. And so we're sort of like, hey, the market's going to move here. We're not just going to like creep up alongside this 
because otherwise if you're drafting on the ranks you're just gonna get sniped every time you're mm-hmm. out there on a guy who's rocketing up or you're gonna end up like just catching a falling knife as a player goes down the board so if we know this guy's gonna rise two rounds in ADP, ADP we're just gonna put him there um and or at least put him close to where we think he'll get to um and so that's it's more nimble that way than just like letting ADP push us around. But Jamison Williams doesn't fit that archetype, right? We don't necessarily expect that he's going to like crater an ADP. We just think he's really mispriced. Um, and especially in best ball mania, right? Daniel? Yeah. Because in best ball mania, again, one third of the prizes. So you want to sort of put one third of your mental energy there are to the regular season and Jamison's giving you a stone cold zero for six weeks of the 14 plus every player has a bye week so to win the regular season or get top you probably need your players to be giving you weeks and strong performances for more than half of the year it's just really tough to imagine that the winning regular season teams will have a player that could not contribute on half of the available weeks in other tournaments like the puppy it's more advantageous to take Jameson, but i'm not sure at this point it's advantageous I don't want to go too much into the vibes-based analysis, but he's given every red flag. He's in the Kadarius Tony tier for me. I mean, I, well, we should talk Tony because I'm actually I'm willing to draft Tony, and I I know you're not really Daniel, but um, but yeah, I mean the vibes are terrible on Jamison Williams. I've never really seen a head coach be like, and I had someone called me out because I I like don't have the quote exactly off the top of my head correct, but. Um, Dan Campbell said something along the lines of like, he's never going to be one of those elite catchers of the ball. Um, but we're basically going to get him to where like he can do it or he, or it's acceptable, but like coaches don't talk that way about a guy they took in the early first round entering his second season. Like they, they don't say, God, I hope this dude can at least catch the ball. Sort of. <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah. It's the most like analogous a- situation is the Lions talking about Deandre Swift last year. Yes, it is. It is. That's the that's what comes to mind. This is a team that gave up on a very talented running back who had some serious flaws, but did some other things very well. And I mean, that's kind of who Jameson is at wide receiver. He's super fast. He's going to be able to get past defenses in a league where that's increasingly hard to do. But what happens next? Does he catch the ball? Um, Does he pull his hammy? Uh, It's you know, they're going to they seem they already seem frustrated. Uh, and also, he got suspended for six games for betting on uh, sports at the team facilities. That's also a problem. You, you don't have the quote really that wrong. Uh, it, it's it'll never be probably like one probably like one of those elite pass catchers, but it'll be just fine. And the article I'm reading is even like if you read this, it sounds really bad. But here's the full quote, and then like talking about his drops, and then that quote pops in. I'm like, no, this sounds as bad, maybe <laughs> worse, if you include more context. You know, he, he obviously also, Campbell talks about, like like you said, we're getting him the ball, like he's going to be a fine pass catcher, and that's his point is, you know, the, the thesis was never that he's a great hands guy. It's that he's got speed, deep speed that can't be matched. But, like, no, this does sound bad. And you know what happened as soon as we saw him in the preseason? Dude drops a long, well-thrown ball that clangs off his hands. Like, yep. Do you, like, you think Dan Campbell sees that? Then he gets hurt, and he's like, week seven comes around. I'm giving this guy an 80% snap share. Hell no, he ain't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can certainly see him burying me in a week. You know, and that's that's tough. I, I think he has – he does have a ceiling, especially from a single-week perspective. But – God, he's gonna have you're gonna have tough 
a tough time advancing him with you know the, those six games that he's yeah your 11th place team is going to be windmilling with his 22 <laughs> yeah. points uh, like good luck yeah good luck. yeah and the other thing i mean he does he has one career reception you know and um has yet to to be able to play like really any extended healthy stretch in the nfl uh having coming in with with the acl tear so you know i would like to get some cheap jameson uh maybe he falls and we don't have to kind of override the adp stuff and we can kind of sit back in the 120s and take him i would be into that right if it's like yeah. jameson williams or rasheed rice Darnell Mooney, uh, Darnell. I take. I still take Mooney. I take. I take James. I take Jameson ahead of Darnell Mooney, but it's close. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have him ranked ahead of, of Darnell Mooney, yeah. but again, that's that's because like of the. I would take him ahead of Darnell Mooney because I don't ever draft Jameson Williams, and if you're drafting off these ranks, you probably don't have a lot of draft Jameson Williams. So it's one of those things where, with the ADP slide. Um, of that magnitude, I think I probably would just grab a share. Yeah, but honestly, we don't expect him to be going here in later today, right? Like the, the no, injury no. was yes, was it yesterday? This ADP will continue to so. fall. Yeah, I think it comes to us though, and I, I don't know that it goes past us. But I here's what I'll say: if they, if Darnell Mooney and Jameson Williams were back to back right now, and I knew that they would probably stay that way, I probably would just take Darnell Mooney. Yeah, uh, that's that's how I feel about him. But. That, that at least would be a debate. Uh, okay, so he's, he's a big stand for us. Najee, we, we teased Najee earlier. Najee's not someone that we have uh, overridden in the ADP. But he's also not that further behind in, like, the true rent. He's basically where he is in the, in the list. Um, so let's, let's talk Najee Harris. Uh, this is again. This is where I would take him. So the ADP is, you know, I have him fifty three in the in the pure rank. But like, honestly, I I should probably just change that to fifty because I don't even. <laughs> I just think that that's me being like, yeah. <laughs> but the the ADP is doing something good here, which is saying, hey, if you have Najee Harris at fifty, just take him. That's a good spot. Um, you know, there's a there's a point at which he does become a value, and this this to me is where that point is. But the reason I'm I'm so bearish on Najee is that I don't think he's very good based on what he's shown at the NFL level. Uh, you you can kind of look at what he's done as a receiver, not all that impressive. That was one of the things that he was really billed as coming in as this first round pick that he was going to be this difference making receiver. He could line up everywhere. You know, he can run wide receiver routes. I don't know if you guys remember this coming in, but like that, there was a lot of talk of that about Najee. He had 0.97 yards per hour and as a rookie, he had that one massive target game. I think he had like 17 targets or something in that one game. Um, that was fun, but otherwise, it was not an impressive rookie season as a receiver. And then he fell to 0.77 yards per hour on last year. That's that's pretty bad. Um, it's not horrendous, I guess, but it's not good. And then he had, uh, as he was kind of confirming that he's not a special receiver, Jalen Warren comes in, becomes the third down back, actually flashes in some receiving metrics, including ESPN's receiver ratings, uh, which he finished very high in. And then he looks good as a rusher as well. Reports out of camp are that Jalen Warren looks awesome. Najee looks fine. And I just have a real hard time betting on a guy 
that I don't, I genuinely don't think is the best running back on his own team. And does that prevent him from being the lead back all year? Probably not. The Steelers probably just keep rolling Najee out there. He was their first round pick. Warren's an undrafted free agent. Um, a guy in my Discord is a Steelers fan. Is, has reminded me a few times about uh, some of Tomlin's legendary stubbornness. And so odds are Najee just kind of keeps the role. But I don't think this is how we play for ceiling outcomes. Yeah, especially in a year where running back prices are pretty depressed. And you can get good running back values. It's not like we're docking every running back five to ten spots. We like Travis Etienne. We think Ramondre and Brees are interesting. We even think Derrick Henry isn't a bad pick. We are in on Jonathan Taylor. So you want to be selective with which running backs you're taking. And in a year where running back prices are depressed, Najee is resistant to that he sort of just stayed at the dead zone price whereas when you get him at the four or five turn i'm pretty excited to from a portfolio management get above one percent maybe get that up to two percent but i'm not ever itching to take him at adp yeah there's just so many hoops to jump through where like okay so he has to be more efficient as a runner like you can't be out here running at like 3.8 yards per carry with a horrible like rush yards over expected maybe he can do that he got better last year after they removed that plate from his foot the thing is he went from like nearly dfl in every metric to still quite poor like he broke more tackles but he wasn't like the thing is he was like a tackle breaker who then didn't do anything after breaking a tackle because he wasn't gaining long runs like he was still a poor long run rate he was still not a yards after contact guy so even that argument i think is fairly weak because he was still bad like legitimately bad after uh they took the plate out of his foot so Maybe he can be a more efficient runner, but then he also, like, you want him to once again push Jalen Warren, who looks, like you said, he flashed in receiving metrics. You want Najee to be the pass catcher, but then you'd hope he's more efficient than, like, a pretty weak bet on his per route basis. All of those things need to come true, and then he still probably plays on a pretty bad offense. Like, there are so many hurdles he has to clear, and do I think he can clear one of them? Sure, yeah, like... He could improve as a rusher or sure the Mike Tomlin's stubborn and we don't see any more work for Jalen Warren, but to get all those to come together at once is like a parlay. I'm not willing to make where like, at least like Joe Mixon, like we have Joe Mixon below ADP, but not the fade we have on Najee because Joe Mixon plays on a good offense. He just lost Chris Evans or he just lost Samaj P Ryan. Like the paths for him, the parlay is going to have such better odds or, you know, such, you know, lower odds because he's probably a better runner. He can get as much receiving work. I don't think he's great with it, but who cares? Neither is Najee. Like, and he plays on an elite offense. Like, He could get there on touchdowns alone, whereas I don't really think Najee can even get there on touchdowns alone. So, yeah, I, have, I don't think either of us have any pushback on Najee being probably the biggest fade stance we have in what would be like the first 60 or 70 picks maybe. Yeah, that's that's correct. He's, he's the biggest fade stance that we have early um christian kirk has actually become a, a big fade for us now which we'll get to in a second but before we do that i want to talk jalen warren because that's the other side of this coin um and we're very bullish on jalen warren which only makes sense um we have him at uh the, his adp is 131 and we have him 120 so we're pretty pretty ahead here and that is basically, I, I would say I'm taking him more in the 11th round than at the end of the 10th. But 
because I don't need to, it's I don't need to take them right at the very you know very end of the tenth. And generally, if you're drafting off these rankings, you would see a few guys ahead of him. You know, you know as you kind of come to that range, um, that are even better values. But I I am in on Jalen Warren given what he showed as a rookie, given the real concerns we have for the guy ahead of him, given that Najee's now entering his third year, right? This is the year we saw uh, the Chiefs finally admit they'd made a mistake with Clyde edwards Uh I think that the, the Steelers are going to be more committed to Najee than that, but it could, by the end of the season, be a situation where they're like, you want to see more Jalen today? <laughs> I think I want to see more Jalen today. So we could even you know, Najee's like, I could see a little more Jalen today. <laughs> I, could, I could see a little more Jalen. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we want to be overweight on a very talented backup who is the clear number two, right? That's the other thing about Jalen Warren. We talk about contingent value. Are you actually getting contingent value? Is he actually going to have a big workload if the starter goes down? With Jalen Warren, given that he's the third down back, Beats are talking him up uh, as the best pass blocker on the team. I think he has that role locked. Can he add rushing workload on top of that? He's a 215-pound player. He's 5'8", but he's a little. He's kind of got that bowling ball build. He's actually a pretty explosive rusher too. And yeah, I think he he has that. And more importantly, like Anthony McFarland is on the bubble. It seems like. Could probably make the roster, but they're not particularly excited about any other running backs on this roster other than these two. So you're getting kind of like a Kareem Hunt from you know two years ago, or an Alexander Madison, um, or a Tony Pollard type of bet here, but it costs you an 11th or 12th round pick instead of you know an eighth or ninth round pick, which is really a really nice discount because there's some there's some players I I want to take in the eighth and ninth round this year. Yeah, I think that's the best argument for him. Not that he's going to ever usurp Najee, which seems extremely unlikely. And not even that he's like used a ton as a pass catcher because he's probably not used enough where like in managed you're ever starting him, right? I, I still think he gives you enough spike weeks in best ball where like, oh, he actually made my lineup two times and Najee never got hurt. He played the full 17. He, he never got hurt. We got three games that he made my lineup as the flex guy. But the fact that he is efficient and would dominate the touches like it's just not going to anthony mcfarland or whatever that to me is is the biggest argument for him and it's a really strong argument yeah i agree i think that we don't have any take on the steelers being a better or worse offense than the market indicates there's some intriguing intriguing breakout there but it's nothing we're trying to be extremely overweight overall and we want to be low on Najee, so accordingly we want to be above weight on warren and i'm very happy with where we have both yeah, and I am drafting like that. He warrants my highest drafted player on underdog. So, um, you know, this this ranking does reflect what I'm actually out there doing and will continue to do. I think he's, you know, if he were to rise into the ninth, tenth round, then that wouldn't be as fun. But while he's kind of in this mix of, like, to me, you know, we have him right behind Tank Bigsby. It's a very similar type of thing, although – I don't think he's a better bet. It's just yeah, Bigsby goes ahead, and so you don't want to be you don't want to be out on a talented rookie who the team seems to like and could be you know used in short yardage and some passing situations, etc. So um, that's one of the things I would say just in general about going overweight on guys is that <clears throat> I think it's totally fine to take stands on players. I do it myself, but 
when you're taking a stand on a player, be mindful of the players in that range that you're not getting and evaluate how big of a stand you want to take, I think, from that perspective. Because it's going to be hard. If you love a guy, it's always going to be hard to be like, I should take less of this guy I love. That's not an easy conversation to have with yourself. It's easier to be like, who am I missing out on? And does that hurt? And if it hurts, then, you know, dial back. If it doesn't hurt, then, you know, you're you're creating more of a sort of volatile situation. Like your whole season is going to be dependent more on one player in a chaotic sport. Uh, but that's a personal decision. You know, if if you're kind of fine with that risk, then and there's not anyone you're, you really feel like you're missing out on, then you could make a big stand. You could decide not to make a big stand. Again, that's up to you. But uh, that's just one way I would try to think through and, and something I'm currently thinking through with Warren. Like, is it costing me big speed? Is it costing me Gainwell, who we're, we're very high on as part of this, you know, this rise that we expect to see from the market? Um, that's that's kind of how I'm thinking through how big of a stand I want to take on him. Let's let's talk to Christian Kirk, who we have now a fade on. Maybe we're uh, just total noobs out here, just like buying every every preseason uh, fade report. Are we are we overreacting to this Christian Kirk uh, is a slot right slot wide receiver stuff? I don't think so. I was listening to the Athletic Football Show AFC South preview. They talked up. Nate Tice was gushing about how Kirk is just an awesome slot receiver and kept it at that. And I think the indication out of week one in the preseason is the Jags think Kirk is an awesome slot receiver. And I'd hope that the market would ding it because I don't want to have zero Christian Kirk. I think the slot receiver getting 75, 80% of routes potentially on the Jaguars. And there's also a little contingent upside if Calvin Ridley isn't all that the market expects him to be. I don't want to have zero. I'm still slightly overweight from before we had some of this information. Maybe that was a leak, but I'm definitely easing off it now. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't super in on him at his price earlier, just because especially before Calvin Ridley rose, I, I was fine with Ridley. And what we saw from last year was that like Kirk wasn't even able to put a meaningful level of distance in terms of just his volume between him and Zay Jones. Like to me, that's Given that I think Zay Jones is fine, he's a guy, but given that Kirk looked similar to him and how they were used in terms of like the weighted opportunity rating was like 0.58 for Kirk to 0.53 for Zay Jones. And even Marvin Jones had like a 27% air yard share, right? Like they were meaningfully giving high value targets to Marvin Jones. Like to me, when you look at like the, the relative distance between him and the guys on the team last year, which was small, that tells me they're all just fine players probably they're all good they're but they're probably best suited as role players and if you are buying Ridley as just like a good receiver right he comes in and he's good he doesn't have to be what he was in 2019 or whatever the year was 2020 but just that he is a good capable number one receiver I think it's probably going to you know maybe even I was, I was gonna say equally affect the target share the the air yard share of Zay Jones and Christian Kirk because they were so close to even last year. And for me, that was the reason where I was like, yeah, Zay Jones is a fine pick. I probably shouldn't take more Zay Jones, frankly, mm-hmm. as a bet against Kirk, who, if they don't look that much different, why am I? Why is the market so much higher on Kirk versus Zay Jones? Kirk's better. I, I can see that. Like, I think Kirk is probably better. But to the gap between him and Zay, to me, was, it didn't... Yeah, it's the gap. It didn't make much sense at all. And now we're getting a small, like, let's, you know, we don't want to overreact, but now we're getting another small nugget that maybe the gap is even less there. Maybe it should be going the other way. I don't think that's true, 
But their snaps are telling us maybe that's the case. So I was never in on Kirk. This doesn't, you know, I'm not screaming to move him down the ranks because of this. But it's noteworthy for a player who I already thought had questions on what his role, just in terms of raw targets, not even like, will he play what percentage of the slot? Does that mean he moves off in two, in two wide sets? Now those questions enter the picture too. Uh, I'm fine with us being extremely low on him. Yeah, and I, I'll say we have not been particularly high on um, Alvin Ridley. We've been, I think, below market throughout the offseason but never by an extreme amount. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of, we've come up, not just like let ADP kind of pull us up. We haven't, we've actually been, we've gotten more bullish on Calvin Ridley in the rankings over the last month or so, just like the rest of the fantasy community, just not quite as bullish as the rest of the fantasy community, right? So his ADP is now 25. We have him at 28 in the rankings. But part of it to me with Christian Kirk was always that we just don't know how this is going to shake out with the Jaguars. This is an offense that probably will have a lot of passing volume and passing value, but who is it going to go to? There's a lot of mouths to feed or maybe not a lot, a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of potential guys who could emerge as target, you know, guys who are getting a lot of that value, getting a big slice of that value. It could be really spread out. It could be condensed to, you know, one guy um, in, or, or a couple guys, there's, it's, it's a difficult situation to project. And that uncertainty made you not want to take like huge stands on, you know, Kirk versus Ridley versus Jones versus Ingram, right? Um, but Ridley seems to be putting together the type of training camp that would make you think, okay, he's, he's probably going to be the number one in like a number one kind of way. Um, or at least the chances of that have gone up. And Kyle, I know you're not like a big guy in terms of the, like how much stock to put in the training camp stuff, but it's not just that it's that he was the former number one in Atlanta who has this weird year two years ago, then gets suspended for the full season. And it's like, is he still that guy? And I think in a situation like this, the training camp reports, can at least help us be like, okay, he appears to be the guy who he was before. I mean, because we wouldn't necessarily think that he wouldn't be, uh, given that he's like, what, 28 years old. It wasn't an injury situation that he missed the year. Like, he should be fully healthy. He should have his, the same skill set he had when he left, roughly. And it appears that he does. And if Ridley's going to be moving up like this, Leaving aside the slot stuff, it makes me more nervous about what Christian Kirk can do from kind of a target domination uh, standpoint and from a ceiling outcome standpoint. Yeah, that's why I'm not in on Kirk as much. It's like, yeah, how, where, like, where are his targets coming from? Last year, he was a, a fine target earner, but wasn't elite at it. Now they have a potential elite. And I agree that, like, they can't, like, there was a very realistic scenario where he just, like, he hasn't played football in two years. He comes to camp, he doesn't look like himself. And you know right away. Do we know he's his? former self yet no we absolutely don't the, the odds are he's probably not quite that guy but we've taken off some of the like real tail risk of he looks like a dude who you can tell right away hasn't played football for the most part in two years uh and with that out of the way given that he played like all the snaps with the starters he is at least on the field for all the snaps and he looks fine in training camp like i don't trust kirk to like that's even that is Zay Jones and Kirk barely beat out that guy for targets Add another get that guy to the mix. And that's a bad look for Kirk right there. And that doesn't even factor in like 
Calvin Ridley was a, like an absolute stud when he was playing in Atlanta. So yeah, to me, Kirk is like should have just fallen a lot more uh, in response to the Ridley rise. Like if you think if the market is correct in raising Ridley, they should have nuked Kirk, and they, and they didn't. Here's a here's a alternate universe beat report. Calvin Rid- Ridley looked better today. The coaches are optimistic he can play a big role in this offense. That's not That's what we're really hearing. Good. What we're That's hearing really is I can't even see the defender who was covering Calvin Ridley on the video because he was that far away. That's how open Calvin Ridley got on this route. Like he's having like the training camp. Now, again, this could all be overblown. It's not you got it with Allen Robinson last year, right? He's having the Allen Robinson training camp. I was he's say. having the Allen Robinson training camp. Yeah. So we're we're behind ADP on Ridley. I'm not like pounding the table for Calvin Ridley here, but there's a difference between those two things. If we're trying to figure out yep. what's most likely to happen, it's not the yeah. I think I think he looks all right. It's holy shit, <laughs> you know. Just, and you had you you should yeah. have been pricing in some of that. Yeah, he looks all right. He's 28 and he had to play football in two years. Uh, and we didn't get that. And so that that is now, as of today, off the table. Uh, and it, it was not off the table in March, right? Like, he hadn't played football in a long time. And he's old. Yeah. Like, for, yeah. for an NFL receiver, he's older. So, uh, yeah, I think let's not read into the fact that he looks like a stud against some corner and Zay Jones looks slower or whatever. But let's read into the fact that they seem optimistic on using him a lot. And he used to be very good. Yep. Um all right, let me see another one of these stands. Uh, Devin Singletary's one maybe we should note quickly. Uh, might not be the backup. Uh, or let's say, sorry, he's probably the true backup, but he might not be the third down back. And so you're talking about like a probably, I think he's a not very good running back who is a pure contingent, a, probably a two down contingent play on the Texans. Uh Seems bad. I was in. I was drafting him. This is when we made a big shift on, which is why I wanted to note it. Uh, we were in. I thought he was a pretty interesting. Like, oh, maybe he plays third downs. We get some catches. But if he's not playing third downs, we have no standalone value, and he's just a zero unless Damian Pierce gets hurt, and then maybe he's like, I don't know, what eight points or something. Like, I just don't. I don't know what what is the point of him now. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on Singletary. Yeah, last week, I think even on our call, so before preseason week one, Pat floats, you know, I kind of enjoy taking Devin Singletary. Then I give my exposure, Kyle gives his, and it's like, oh, we're all a little overweight because we think we have this decent bet in Pierce's probably one, but it's still not a not ambiguous backfield. Singletary could have a decent role. It sure seems far less likely that Singletary has a decent role now, and this is the stuff that you really want to react to because if you're probably getting the backup two-down grinder on the Houston Texans, there are so many better ways to spend your money. That's very well put. Um, let's see. I, before we get out of here, I want to touch on a couple of the wide receivers in the early rounds that were, I would say, like significantly higher on than the market. Um, Terry McLaurin and Drake London. Um, I think these are different, different bull cases here. Drake London is sort of just the, like, zoom all the way out and he's what the eighth overall pick who went um 10th overall pick where he was very high eighth. eighth and um had a had a very efficient rookie season uh rated well in open score uh kind of delivered on the prospect profile that we have for him where he's going to be able to get open an intermediate level of the field very easily 
has a quarterback who won't be absolutely atrocious like Marcus Mariota was last year. Maybe they don't pass quite as infrequently. But more importantly, you're getting a second-year breakout bet from a player who we think is very talented. That's honestly just kind of what it comes down to. Um, And then with Terry McLaurin, it's not a breakout bet, but this guy is good. He's a good wide receiver. He's been good. He is the number one on his team. And I'm not a big Sam Howell guy from the perspective of him keeping the job all season. But part of the reason is that I think Jacoby Brissett is a very good backup quarterback. And I think Sam Howell will be fun in the sense of watching football is fun. He's going to chuck it around. He's going to chuck the ball deep. He's going to take a funny sack. He's going to throw an interception. He's going to hit Terry McLaurin for a touchdown. I think we're going to enjoy watching Sam Howell for as long as we're watching him. The combination of Howell and Brissett is probably the best quarterback play that ha- that McLaurin has had in his entire career. 100%. Uh, so why aren't we a little bit more excited about this guy who we, I think as a community think is good? I think you, I don't think either of us have an answer because we both agree with the ranking of like, yeah, he's good. Good quote, good quarterback play relative to his previous year's quarterback play. Yeah, this is going to look good. Like his previous quarterback play has been truly like bottom feeder type of stuff. So yeah, we neither, we all agree with this rank that uh, take talented players when they're getting upgrades in offense and they've previously been good in the bad offenses is really what makes it such an easy bet. Yeah. We've seen for years with Terry and then last year with London being fine picks at whatever their respective ADPs were when the quarterback play was bad. And the median outcome may still be bad quarterback play, the fifth round rookie or the career backup. That might not be an above average quarterback. It's probably not. But in the event that it is, you have the ability to capture the high and tail outcome with both of them. And with Drake London specifically, it's pretty easy to look at the all the boxes he's checked and think, yeah, eventually he'll be a top 20 pick. He's the type of profile you want to be yeah. early on. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think London. That's exactly the way I would I would put it. You want to be early on Drake London. Is there a chance we're a year early? A hundred percent. In fact, we're probably a year early on Drake London. <laughs> but if we're not a year early, he has the type of ceiling as you know, just this talent based bet where he can absolutely crush ADP. And if you look at like what has the fourth and fifth round been really good for in recent years. It's for finding guys who can emerge and absolutely crush ADP. I think Drake London fits that. Uh, he had 2.07 yards per route run last year. That's an awesome mark for a rookie. That's the type of thing you see from future superstars at wide receiver. When you pair that with the fact that he was the eighth overall pick and was a strong prospect, it wasn't like my favorite prospect, but he was a early declare, productive uh, wide receiver who then gets drafted super high. He's got size. He, you know, he he can threaten somewhat deep. He's not like a pure underneath guy. Uh, so and not just like a pure volume bet. He had an eleven point two eight out last year. I'm I'm very excited about like what Drake London can become as an NFL player. I don't know if he's going to get the volume this year. He probably won't. But man, two point zero seven yards per out run with Marcus Mariota and. Desmond Ritter throwing him the ball. Uh, he will have Ritter again this year, but that that's exciting, and that's the type of ceiling outcome that we want to be thinking through. And then Terry McLaurin, he had 2.05 yards per out run as a rookie. He kind of fell off to 1.84 and 1.81 the two years after that, which are fine marks, not that impressive. But he's coming off a season with 2.04 yards per out run, 
with Taylor Heineke throwing him the ball, I, I think we're like disrespecting this dude. I think he's, I think he's really good. Um, and I, and I, I know some people want to play it through the Dotson breakout. I think that's fine. I think Dotson's a fine pick, but McLaurin, I mean, honestly, I think I like him more than Judy. I, I we might have to, might have to tweak this rank a little bit uh, and, and move him up even more. I've been I've been a little surprised. McLaurin's not a guy that I've necessarily been pounding the table for at any point in his career. Um, I've been surprised that the market isn't more excited about him. But all right, yeah, guys. I agree. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just quickly going to say I agree. I've been a little more bullish on Terry throughout his career, but I think this year you have a pretty easy path to envision a ceiling outcome. All right. Uh, so Kyle just had to jump, but. That'll do it for this episode of uh, the Legendary Upside podcast. Thanks to Kyle, sorry for keeping him uh, to the point where he actually had to drop off the pod. <laughs> but make sure to check out all of Kyle's work at uh, rotaworld.com. Uh, he's got some incredible stuff over there, including the news beat. You know, if you want to stay up on the news, Rotoworld's still the best place to check it out. Uh, Daniel, uh, anything you want to tell the people about uh, that you got going on? Yeah, I do some work with the 33rd team. have an article coming out today about how to handle some of the running backs rising in ADP that we touched on, including Dalvin Cook. And I'll just say, you shouldn't really be drafting him at a rising ADP, but the rest is in the article. It's a quick read on Twitter at Danny, three underscores, dimes. Love it. All right, guys. uh, Real quick, I will mention one more time that you can get a $50 underdog credit if you subscribe to a season-long subscription at legendaryupside.com so that's $99 uh, with $50 in underdog credit Uh, go ahead and sign up uh, if you're interested in checking out these ranks for your best ball drafts this summer Uh, there's uh, only a couple weeks left but there's plenty more drafts to get in but thanks for listening we'll see you guys 